Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, glad to see you all here. Uh, I wasn't expecting the snow and the sleet this morning, but it's still a, a beautiful morning. Uh, this is, I guess, what spring in Chicago looks like. Uh, yeah, we get snow on the daffodils. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was told that you get false spring, and then you get second winter, and then you get true spring. And sometimes that's, that, that's a fool or two. <laughs> so, I don't know. We may be going through second winter. But, it, I mean, it's, it's nice outside. Uh, I like it. Those are big snowflakes, too. It looks nice in here. But, uh, it's nice and warm in here. It's nice and warm in here. Well, we are on page 50, uh, Lesson 9, The Christian Life, Part 2, and we are continuing on what it means to live the Christian life. In the last lesson, we looked at uh, what the law of God is, its role in the life of a believer, and uh, today we are going to be looking at... uh, why it is that we uh, fail to uphold the moral law of God as we are commanded to do. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to read the two shorter catechism questions uh, there in the box. And then uh, I'm going to ask Brian to pray for us and we'll get started. So the shorter catechism, uh, question 82 Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? And the answer is no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. And then question 85, What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? And then the answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requireth of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. And so that's, that's the teaching, the doctrine that we're going to be looking at uh, today and next week as we uh, walk through this lesson. Uh, what is required of us and, and may, we be, may we actually uh, keep this law. And so, uh, before we get started into this teaching, Brian, can you open us in prayer? Our Lord and our God in heaven, uh, we thank you for giving us another Sabbath, another holy day. Uh, We thank you for all of your goodness, for all of your provisions, for all that you are. Uh, We thank you for bringing us here safely, and we ask that you would bless our brethren that are on the way, that you would watch over them well. Um, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds uh, to this teaching, and we would uh, be reminded, Lord, of our sin and of your mercy. Uh, we pray that you would be with us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, we ask that you would forgive us for our many sins, and that you would grant repentance. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done, and that you would continue working in our lives uh, and through this class. We ask you all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we looked at the moral command of uh, God that we should uh, obey his law. But we know that that does not always happen. We know that we do not always perfectly keep the law of God. And the reason for that is indwelling sin. Sin that remains within us. Uh, 
when the when a person is regenerated, when he when he is made new by the Holy Spirit, he receives a new nature. We're all born with a sin nature, uh, a nature that is wholly corrupted by sin. But when we come to Christ, when we are regenerated by the Spirit, we are given a new nature, uh, one that is not wholly corrupted by sin. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what does Paul say is the result of being in Christ? If you are in Christ, what? You're a new creature. The old has passed away and all things have become new. Can I get get someone to read uh, Ezekiel 36 uh, verse 26? This is this is a verse that I use frequently in my preaching. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. So there we see that in salvation, God removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. We're given a new heart. And and you know that in Scripture, heart doesn't only speak of the organ that's in your chest, but that the heart speaks of the nature, the the inner man, um, that your inner man, the old man, has been removed, that one that was cold and hard to the gospel, and instead a new man has been put in you, a new heart, one that is a heart of flesh, one that's alive, one that's uh, vibrant, one that is affected by the gospel. And so the the old nature is destroyed when a person is regenerated. The old man in essence does not exist any longer. He's been put to death. Can I get someone to read Romans chapter 6 verse 6? And then someone else go ahead and get ready with Colossians 3, 9, and 10. I'll read the Okay. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So what does Paul say about the old man? That the old man is crucified with Christ. It's not that the old man will be crucified with Christ, but that the old man is crucified. He has already been put to death if you are in Christ. It's a sure thing. And then Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Alright, so what is it that you have already done? You already put off the old self with its practices. Yes, you've already put off 
the old man and have put on the new. You see that it's in the past tense. That it's something you have already done once you have been uh, regenerated. Once you have come to Christ, you have put away the old man and have put on the new. And Paul uses this, that fact that, that the old man has been put away and you have put on the new man, he uses that as motivation to encourage you to avoid sinning. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man. He's saying because you've put off the old man, because you have that new man that you have put on, now you should not lie to one another. Now you should not continue sinning. You've put off the old man in his ways, in his deeds. That was sin. And you've put on the new man. And in the new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That new man has knowledge of what he is to do. That new man knows the way that he is to walk. That new man knows the deeds that he is to perform. And he knows that it's not the same deeds as the old man. So do you see how Scripture speaks of the old man? That he's been put away. That he's been crucified. That the body of sin has been destroyed. That all of these things are past tense. Meaning that they happened when you came to Christ. You guys see that, right? Well, if, that, if that's true, if this is past tense, it happened when you came to Christ, then why do you still sin? If the old man has been put to death, then why do you still perform the deeds of the old man? Even though we put on the new self or the new man, we still have that whole nature. Uh, yeah, so our nature has been changed, but there is the remnants of it. You know, Paul speaks of this wrestling within himself that the very thing that he wants to do he does not do and the very thing he doesn't want to do he does he wrestles within himself uh, because that old man who has been put off who has been put to death wants to make his way back and you know, just because the old man has been put away, and just because you have been put on, uh, had the new man put on, just because your cold heart of stone has been removed and you have been given a heart of flesh, it doesn't mean that you are now in a perfected state to where you can't sin anymore. In fact, it's helpful to remember uh, Augustine's fourfold state of man here that, that we return, once we, once we are in Christ and been regenerated, we return back to that same state uh, as our parents, as Adam and Eve, where we are now able to sin and able not to sin. We now have full freedom of will, just as they did. No longer is our wills held captive to our sinful nature, but our wills are set free. 
and our, our wills, we follow whatever our greatest desire is. I love that that's how I was taught what, what, what freedom of the will is, what free will is, is, is choosing what your greatest desire is. Um, because that helps us to understand, you know, even before we are regenerated, when we are still in sin, we have free wills. Our wills are free to, de- to choose its greatest desire, which is sin. But now that we've been regenerated, now that that sinful man has been removed from us and we have been made new in Christ, we still have free will. And that will can now be directed towards our new greatest desire, which is God and obedience to Him. And so we can... Now choose not to sin. But we also choose to sin because we are tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And because we are not perfected yet, because we're not perfected in this life, we still fall into that temptation give in to it, and we still sin. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Um, I have the same question. <laughs> okay, so uh, Adam and Eve, we, you know, we, even though we, we can choose not to sin, we have flesh that is has completely to sin. Mm-hmm. So I guess, how is that different, how is that different from what Adam and Eve had? Yeah, so they did not have uh, they did not have the corruption of sin which tainted them. And we still have the remnants of that corruption. Even though we have been washed clean, even though we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we still have the remnants of that corruption. Uh, it's like, you know, you look at the sun and then you turn your head away and you close your eyes, there's that afterburn image, right? And that's how sin is in the, in the life of a believer. That's how the sin nature is in the life of a believer. You know, it's not there uh, holding dominion over you like it was before you came to Christ. You're not in bondage to it. But it's like an afterimage that's burned into your being where you have that tendency towards it. Yeah, but it's, just, uh, it's interesting that Adam's, Adam and Eve could sin, but they didn't have a proclivity to sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and so what that... The difference there would be their temptation to sin had to be external. Because they didn't have a sin nature for it to arise within their own hearts. And so the external sin, or or the external temptation, led to them sinning. Uh, Whereas for us, very often, we don't need that external temptation. We can come up with temptations on our own, within our own minds, within our own hearts. Because that sin has corrupted every part of our being and that the remnants of that corruption remains. Does that make sense? And so, you know, you can, you can take this and apply it also to Christ. Christ didn't have a sin nature just as Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature. Uh, and so Christ's temptation, was it an internal temptation or was it an external temptation? Was it, an external? it was external. Remember Satan tempting him during his fast in the wilderness. It was an external temptation. Or remember the, the thief on the cross, not the one who came to Christ, the other one, who mocked him and said, if you truly are the Son of God, save yourself and us with you. External temptation. 
But temptation never arose within Christ because there was no proclivity towards sin. Now, the difference between Christ and Adam and Eve, first of all, Christ is God. And second, you know, Adam and Eve were peccable, which meant they had the ability to sin. Christ was impeccable because he was the divine God-man. He could not sin. Though he was tempted in every way, he could not sin because of who he is. It was was part of who he is as the God-man to be perfect. And so while the temptation was external and it was real temptation, Christ could not fall into that temptation uh, because of who he was. Whereas Adam, because he was just man, he could fall into that temptation and he did. Um, So does that answer your question? But So there's the difference in, in... how sin within us uh, tempts us to fall into greater sin. But our estate and and how we are able to interact with God and with sin is the same as Adam and Eve pre-fall. That we are able to sin and we are able not to sin. Does that make sense? That's what I was saying in that our state has gone back to how Adams was before the fall. You had a question? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I was just curious. So now that we're talking about Christ's nature, you know, where he's obviously impeccable um, and, and he's just perfect in nature, uh, he didn't use his divine nature to fight our sin. No. He used his... Just other nature. Mm, yeah, yeah. So Christ, we will get to this. Christ has two natures, human and divine. And his human nature is exactly like our human nature, uh, but not corrupted by sin. Right. And then he has the divine nature, which is because of who he is as the second person of the Godhead. And in the God-man, Christ, you have both of those natures dwelling together in what, what's called a hypostasis, where they, where they are together uh, at the same time. Uh, that's the doctrine of the hypostatic union. Uh, of the divine and human natures of God dwelling within the same person, the same being. Um, But those natures are never blended. So it's not as though the divine took on human aspects or the human took on divine aspects. They're They're not blended, but they also cannot be divided so as to divide Christ into two persons. And so there is this way in which the divine and human interact within the person of Christ. And we see that uh, throughout his ministry, particularly you know, when, you, when he performs miracles. Uh, it is the divine aspect working through him. But it, it wasn't because of his divinity that he was able to stay off sinning. It's because his divinity that he wasn't able to sin. But in his human nature, he fought off the temptation to sin in his human nature because he did, he did not have the corruption of original sin. Yeah, and that's why I've been, like, I've been told, like, well, yeah, but, you know, Christ, he didn't sin because he was God. Or he's God. And I've, I've always had those like arguments with my friends where I've said, no, he uses human nature to fight off mm-hmm. sin. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course he's God. That's, that's a given. But he didn't take advantage of his divinity to like make it easy for him. Yeah. So that's a very interesting topic where we have the same, like we go back to the, the original nature of our fathers, Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we go back 
now to this state to, of being able to obey uh, and follow in the ways of Christ. It's because he took on human flesh and he conquered sin for us as man that we are able, if we are in him, to overcome the temptations as well, just as he did. Uh, because our nature is no longer in our first father, Adam, which was our fallen nature, but has been removed and given a new nature, which is in our true father, in Jesus Christ, it is now after him that we can follow that example of overcoming the temptation of Satan, whereas our first father failed in that temptation. Bob? I was just saying, I think there's, there's several examples in Scripture of things that are hard to get your head around completely. This is one of them. The two natures of Christ. The Trinity, of course, fits into that as well. That we really can't grasp what it truly is. We know what it is. We know it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We know divine and, and earthly. But how do they fit together? How does this all work together? And it's it's a fun discussion. Um, you know, they're not blended, and yet they're there. What impacts one or the other? And um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to think about. Um, the other thing is that if we take off the old coat and put on a new one, it would, it would imply that therefore we're changed. And what, has it, what is it that's changed in us at that point? And I, in my limited understanding of things, to me, it's our our our, our, our direction has changed. Mm. Our trajectory—that's the word. So no longer are we headed that way, but we're headed over. Actually, we're headed that way. You know, it's like we hit a wall and bounced off. Um, and the other thing about the trajectory is we're always to be climbing as we look to Christ. So, we, even though we've taken off the old coat and put on the new, we're still here on earth. But we're still subject to sin and the sin nature. And we can't get around it. And we're never going to see everything clearly. It's this passage, even though we look through the glass darkly, we will not see until we get, basically, until we get to heaven, things clearly. So, we'll get a better picture when we get up there, which is encouraging. People will understand some of these things that are to them ago. So, so we need to be careful that we don't think that when we take off the old coat and put on the new one, that we have perfection. And there's some that say that. So that's another fallacy, another ditch you can fall into. That you know, perfectionists. And they tend to be Wesley, just in terms of putting a, a tag on it. Um, in, in terms of what what Wesley was trying to so, um, you know, we're, we're still in the world, but not of the world. I figure that one out too. Um, you know, but we, the sin nature is upon us, but it's not to overcome us and overwhelm us. And we always have the means of grace um, when we stumble and fall. And um, as you learn in the Bible, sometimes God allows you to stumble and fall. He allowed Job. To have great, great turmoil. Um, but why does God do that? To perfect man. Help bring us in a better place. So we have you know, you know, difficulties, things that hit our life that are tough. And God uses it to challenge us, to build us. It doesn't have to be sin with all of them. It used to be tough times. The loss of a loved one.
yeah, those are good, good points you all make, good questions asked. Uh, you know, this this is an important doctrine to understand because it it impacts not just how we live our life, but how we understand our relationship with God. Um, because, you know, how you understand the impact of sin in your life, how you understand uh, the righteousness that you have in Christ will impact how you understand your position before God. It'll impact how you approach God uh, and it'll impact how you live your life. So, this, I mean, this is a vital doctrine. And, you know, we... We, we see that sin has had such a strong grip in our lives. And for some or all of us, for years, decades, but we have this freedom that's in Christ and it's hard to it's hard to completely let go of something that you've known for so long. And that's why we, we have this tendency to return to the deeds of the old man. Uh, scripture uses the uh, imagery of a dog returning to its vomit. Uh, and, and that's how it is. You know, you know that it's wrong. You know that it's disgusting. But it's what you know. You know there's, a, there's a real good story of southern slaves that after the end of the Civil War, you know, slaves have been freed and... Um, these plantation owners, they, they freed their slaves as the law commanded them to do. And the slaves went out into the communities. They tried to find work. They really didn't know anything other than being a slave. And so just months later, after being freed, they go back to their old owner, their own master, and ask for their old job back as a slave. Now, obviously, they couldn't do it as slavery anymore. But they were doing the exact same thing and getting paid just enough to not be considered slavery. Why would a freed slave go back to his master who had him in chains and say, I want to serve you again? It's because it's what he knew. And that's, uh, that's how it is with us. But that doesn't ha it doesn't have to be that way. You know, if, if you are in Christ, then the bondage to that master of sin has been broken. You're no longer in those chains. You are set free. Your cold heart of stone has been removed. You've been given the heart of flesh. The old man has been put off. You've put on the new man. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. You're a new creature. And because of that, because sin is no longer the nature of you to where everything is, is inclined towards sin, um, you now have victory over sin. You, know, you are able to overcome sin. Romans 6, 11 and 12 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Sin is dead to you. And you are alive in Christ. And because of that, sin must not reign in your mortal body. 
You must not obey it. You must not follow in it. You must not walk in those ways. You must not do those deeds. Because it's been put to death within you. Um, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. Can I get someone to read that? Yes. If then you are raised with Christ, seek these things which are above. For Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above. On things above, rather. Not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then he will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the son of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourself are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Do not lie to anyone, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who, who created him. So there we see that if we are in Christ, then the old man has died, and you are now in Christ. You are alive in Christ. Your life is hid in Christ. And because of that, because of that truth, verse 5, Paul says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Put them to death. Put to death the deeds of the flesh the lusts of the flesh, your idolatries, your, your passions, your inordinate desires, all of these things, put them to death. Because the old man who those things are part of, he's already been put to death. Now put to death the influence that He had in you that still remains. And that's so easy for us to go back to. Put those things to death so you're not as a dog returning to your vomit. I like how Paul does this. He starts off with, with bigness. Uh, fornication, uncleanness, passions, and desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, oh, good, I, I missed all those. <laughs> and then he goes, oh, just in case you think you missed them, uh, let's talk about anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Do not lie to one another. So he adds to the list. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's very helpful. He's sort of like, ooh, I missed I, I dodged the bullet. And then you go, whoa, there comes the bullet. And then he gives, then he commences as to what behavior we're to have. Um, do not lie to one another since you love the old man. And I put on the new who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of you. So we are now in, we're to be in God's image. And that's, uh, again, the trajectory we're here on. Because uh, we know we're not going to arrive here until we sit foot in, on the pearly gates. But we can at least move that way. Yep.
brought to to us now, you know, about the vomit and the dog going back to eat it. Because we have dogs and they vomit all the time and then they go back to eat it. Mm-hmm. It's nasty, but that's what they know. So, um, it's, yeah, because I guess it's their own vomit, so they can smell themselves. But um, I think it's very interesting because although we do still sin and we are, you know, we, we stumble, we should hate it. You know, and we should retract from that and ask for repentance and mm-hmm. uh, change. So, I mean, yeah, we're going to fall, but we're not going to love it. And we should feel heartbroken over our sin. So I think it's a good, you know, thing to remember. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's part of why Paul uses the language that we are to mortify the members of the body, uh, members of the flesh. Mortifying means putting to death, killing. And we know from Christ's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount uh, in regards to the, uh, the Sixth Commandment, Thou shalt not kill, that it has it has to do with hatred. You know, we're not to we're not to even hate other people because hating them is murder. It's killing them. But Paul here is saying there is something that you are to kill, and that's your sin. And you should hate it. You should have this burning hatred towards your sin that causes you to want to find it out anywhere that it is and kill it. You know, like a madman who is burning with hatred for someone else will seek them out wherever they are and kill them on the spot. That's how you should be with your sin. Such a burning hatred that you will do whatever it takes to find it and kill it. Yeah, I think um, sometimes, you know, we learn that God is the one that changes the heart. So I think there's that misconception where it's like, okay, God is just going to do all of the work. And I wouldn't deny that whenever we do end up killing the sin, that that came from God. But there's, like you said, there's not that active, like we need that active, like I'm going to go seek that and and kill it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think that gets lost. And, you know, people thinking that, Oh yeah, God is just gonna change my heart and just sit back and relax. Yeah, I mean that that mentality of I can just sit back and God will kill the sin that's within me is a guaranteed way uh, to ensure that you never grow in the Christian life and that you never uh, put to death any sin, and it's very likely evidence that you're not actually in Christ because you're disobeying a command. This that Paul tells you here in Colossians is a command. It's given in the imperative. Mortify. Kill it. And if you're not putting in the effort to do that, if you are not seeking out how to kill the sin that remains within you, then you are being disobedient to the command of the Lord. And if you're just sitting back and you have no desire to do it, then now you are committing a high-handed sin. And there is serious calls for questioning whether or not you are even in Christ if you have no desire to put to death the sin that remains. Uh, I just... These hyper-grace, antinomian people... It blows my mind how they can come to any of this after reading their Bible. I'm, I'm convinced that men like Tolly and Tavijan, who is one of those guys who would say, you know, we're not under law, we're under grace. We don't have to seek to kill the sin because there's not really such thing as sin anymore for the Christian. I'm convinced that people like him are fools who have never actually read their Bibles. Because you can't read that passage in Colossians and come away saying, I don't have to do anything.
And then 1 John 3, verses 6 through 9. Whoever, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither know him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. That's a difficult passage. And that's a passage that our Wesleyan friends will look at and say, look, see, you're supposed to be perfect. (laughs) That's not what this passage is saying. It's this willful desire to sin that John's speaking of here. He's saying if you were in Christ, and yet you go on sinning like nothing has changed, then it's because nothing has changed. If you claim to be in Christ, and yet you continue to sin as the world, then you're not in Christ. Because he who commits sin is of the devil. You know, I think we need to be careful here because I've heard a lot of people in Reformed communities kind of dismiss this passage as just, you know, talking about, oh, you need to, you, you need to be careful not to sin. And that's it. And that's all they do. They just very quickly deal with it that way and they move on. But I think we need to be more diligent in understanding what this passage means. He's warning against deception. Where you are deceived into thinking that you know Christ, but really you don't. And you know, this is a good text for us elders to remember as well. Because it speaks of looking at the deeds of someone's life, looking at the fruit that the tree bears to determine whether or not they are deceived and whether or not they are deceiving you. You know, when we are seeking to shepherd and guide and counsel and even discipline the flock, we need to understand these things. But you as a congregation, you as people within the congregation, you need to know this as well because you need to be examining yourself to see if the father of lies has deceived you. Do you desire sin? Like Rebecca said earlier, we should hate it. We should hate our sin. If you don't hate your sin, then I can guarantee you that you are not in Christ. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. If you are fully dependent upon the Lord, and if you are fully trusting in him, and if you are fully seeking to follow all of His commandments, you will hate sin. And you will do everything in your power to never commit sin. That doesn't mean that you won't, and we'll see that when we come to our our time next week. But you must hate sin. And you must love the law of the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you are a new creature, then have victory over that sin. 
Don't let sin have victory over you. The, uh, the workbook gives a note on the First John passage. It says, to commit sin means to make one, sin one's unrepentant lifestyle and continued practice. And that's important to remember. If you're living in unrepentant sin, then there's a big, big problem. Also, in my DSP, it says, uh, make a practice of sin instead mm. of just sin. So it's not like we commit a sin, we've mm. fallen into a state of sin now, we no longer are in favor of God. Mm. That sounds actually saying, at least to me. Uh, but if you make a practice of sinning, that's more likely that you are in sin. Yeah, the the you know I don't want to get into the technicalities of the language, but the way that this is written is speaking of you know an active continual thing, not saying you know you commit one sin, but if you commit sin and continue sinning, you know it's it's similar to the Hebrews six passage, if one should fall away. And what, what's being said there is fall away and continue falling away. Uh, it's, a, it's an active, continuous thing that's being spoken of here. And yeah, I think, I think the ESV does a good job of showing that and if he continues to sin or makes a practice of sinning. Any other comments or questions? Someone once said, I don't know who, um, but that if you send a man on an island, like he could think his way to hell you know, without God because that's in our nature. Mm-hmm. So Anything else? All right. Bob, can you close us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this day of worship. Lord, we thank you for the lessons. Lord, as we understand more fully our sinful nature, help us, Lord, to also understand more fully your, your, your love for us, your uh, forgiveness of our sins, and cleansing from all unrighteousness. Lord, as we come now to worship, we pray that you would watch over us and keep us, be with Josh as he opens the word for us, and be with us as we attentively participate. In this worship service, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.